0: Some things cannot be explained. They can only be experienced. You know that truth probably. I found that very same truth to be true on the other side of the continent in a very different way. It was a cloud-covered, rainy day in Washington, D.C. A small group of us made our way up the hill in Arlington National Cemetery. We finally arrived at our destination, the Tomb of the Unknowns. We arrived at that destination just before the changing of the guard. The rain was pelting us hard. We were trying to duck under trees, trying to get out of the rain, trying to see, wondering, will they still have it today? And then we looked, and we saw that lone soldier, crisp clean movements, pacing those steps, turning, pacing back. And then came the other soldier and the commanding officer and in a ritual that is as moving as it is solemn, they changed the guard. They ended up just, it seemed, inches apart facing each other as that commanding officer inspected the weapon with crisp. Clean, white gloves. Every movement precise. And then the officer turned with the soldier going off duty. And those movements that are so clean, they marched off and another man took over. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 365 days a year rain snow sleet or shine light or darkness the marching never stops deeply moving but you have to go because some things can't be explained they can only be experienced that is the kind of passage I want to read to you today Your reach for a Bible is found in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 2. It is the kind of passage on which we are on holy ground. It is the kind of passage where you want to slip off your shoes and bow your head. It can't fully be explained. It can only really be experienced. But I read to you the words of the Apostle Paul. Was he quoting a hymn or was he composing a hymn? Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5, he writes, "'In your relationships with one another "'have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had, "'who, being in very nature God, "'did not consider equality with God "'something to be used to his own advantage. "'Rather, he made himself nothing,' Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I call this humility's magnum opus. Humility's magnum opus. Because it describes an experience. It describes a choice. It describes an act on the part of Jesus that we can't fully understand, I could never truly explain. But Paul, in majestic language, writes it down for us so that we can experience some of its reality. Now the truth is, some, as we read these words, don't feel a nerve twitch, don't sense an eye blink, sense nothing stir within them. And I sometimes wonder why. Why is it that we can approach the most majestic realities and not respond? Maybe it's because they're too distant from us. We've insulated ourselves from them. It is as though they are something else. And we're concerned about class and school and grades. Listen to the words of one such man who was concerned about such things. He writes... I have said that in one respect my mind has changed during the last 20 or 30 years. Up to the age of 30 or beyond it, poetry of many kinds gave me great pleasure. And even as a schoolboy, I took intense delight in Shakespeare. I have also said that formerly pictures gave me considerable and music very great delight. But now, for many years, I cannot endure to read a line of poetry I have tried to read Shakespeare and found it so intolerably dull that it nauseated me. I have also lost my taste for pictures or music. I retain some taste for fine scenery, but it does not cause me the exquisite delight it formerly did. My mind seems to have become a kind of machine for grinding out general laws out of large collections of facts. Charles Darwin. Sometimes if we're only looking from the outsides of things, looking for just a way to explain them, we grow cold. We grow hard. So maybe it's because we're too distant from the words. Or maybe it's because we're too familiar with the words. They've become so close. We come, we see the words on the screen, we sing, we sit down. They don't move anything within us. We have become so familiar with them. I stood on a beach here in Southern California with a group of friends. It was sunset time. We stood there on the beach looking toward the western horizon. It was breathtaking. The divine artist had scattered multicolored hues across this canvas of the sky. Fingers of different intensity of light and different colors streaked the sky above us, reflected in the water below us. The pounding of the surf we felt within us. I thought, what would it be like to see this every day And so I turned and looked at the homes, the rich homes behind me. The one right behind us had huge picture windows, floor-to-ceiling windows all the way across the front of the house. What would it be like? And then I noticed something. We were standing close enough to see. I noticed that every chair in the living room faced the other direction. I could see the backs of heads as people watched a 52-inch HD screen. Sometimes it's just so familiar we turn and watch TV. But Paul, as he writes this, has something in mind. Humility's magnum opus. I think we can only truly hear it if we think about three realities about this song. First of all, we have to notice the key in which it is written. The key. We are used to a certain key in our society and culture. I saw it. I saw it on the television. I saw it with a talk show when one of the guests leaped up out of her seat and jabbing her finger at the audience, she said, I know how to take care of me. I love me. Remind me of Tio saying, I want me some me. And I thought, that is the key. Of the culture me 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 and along comes Paul composing humility's magnum opus but he composes it in the key of you 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 it is for that reason that Jesus said I will not cling to my rights as God I will empty myself for you the key of you Second thing we must notice is that we tend to think that everything in any opus that we sing happens in the treble clef. It happens on those high notes, those strong, powerful high notes that bring the audience to their feet. It's all about being up high. But as we listen to humility's magnum opus, we suddenly hear the bass clef come in and realize this isn't just something about the heights it's something about the depths. Down, down, down comes Jesus. Down comes God, stepping down the starry stair steps of the sky with a babe wrapped in his arms, wrapped in human flesh, the base clef to the bottom. Humility's magnum opus. But thirdly, we have to realize that in actual fact, this is played on all the keys from the highest to the lowest and then back to the highest again. It covers the entire spectrum, every note, Every chord as the music first begins on a high key, and then it goes down to the deepest and the lowest. But then, once again, the refrain begins to swell until the entire universe echoes with humility's magnum opus and drives people to their knees. It's the heights and the depths. That's the third reality of this opus. If we can enter into that, realize it's written in the key of you, it includes not only the heights but the depths, but then it leads back to the heights, maybe we can begin to experience something that can never be explained. It's the reality. But sometimes we are so far on the outside that we lose our sense of awe. Could I suggest to you that no one will ever hear Humility's magnum opus unless they are willing to realize it's a place of reverence. I don't think, for example, a man who would slouch with his hat on before Michelangelo's David could ever hear the opus. I don't think a woman who would prance down the aisle of the Notre Dame Cathedral chewing gum could ever hear the opus. I don't think a medical student who would yawn through a live birth could ever hear the opus because it requires a recognition. This is bigger than me. The story is told of a tour group going through a place where Beethoven had composed. There in that place was the piano, the piano he had often used and on which he had composed. Before the tour guide could stop her, a young woman slipped under the barrier, sat down at the piano, and began to play one of Beethoven's sonatas. The tour guide didn't take kindly to that. And immediately strode over, and after a few notes on the piano, he removed her rather unceremoniously. She said to him, I'm sure that there are many people that come here who would love to play on the keys of this piano. To which the tour guide said, no, actually not. He said, in fact, some time past, the composer and musician Ignacy Paderewski came and was offered the opportunity. And he said, no, I'm not worthy. I think Paderewski could probably hear the opus. Now, maybe you will say to me, but Randy, I thought our topic today was a beautiful day for God. How does this relate Well, I want to tell you how it relates because Paul writes this Music. He writes these verses in a specific context. He is writing to a church that is divided, that is fractured, that is at odds with each other. And in the verses just preceding this, he has called upon them to come together, to be united, to be one. And it is as he is saying that, please, he says, have the humility to come together and to recognize the value of the other. Then he says, in fact have the same attitude as Jesus had. And then the orchestra begins to play Humility's magnum opus. And if you listen, it does something to you and changes how you treat others. And that, my friends, makes a beautiful day for God. In fact, maybe no one says it better than Jacob Needleman. He's actually quoted in Bill Moyer's book, A World of Ideas too, as he recounts a most significant event. Listen to the Needleman's words. He says, I was an observer at the launch of Apollo 17 in 1975. It was a night launch, and there were hundreds of cynical reporters all over the lawn, drinking beer, wisecracking, and waiting for this 35-story-high rocket to lift off. The countdown came, and then the launch. The first thing you see is this extraordinary orange light, which is just at the limit of what you can bear to look at. Everything is illuminated with this light. Then comes this thing slowly rising up in total silence because it takes a few seconds for the sound to come all the way across to where you are. You hear then a whoosh and a hmm and it just enters right into you. You can practically hear jaws dropping. The sense of wonder fills everyone in the whole place as this thing goes up and up and up. The first stage ignites this beautiful blue flame. It becomes like a star, but you realize there are human beings on it. And then, then there's total silence. People just get up quietly, helping each other. They're kind. They open doors. They look at one another, they speak quietly and interestedly. These, listen to Needleman's words, these were suddenly moral people because the sense of wonder, the experience of wonder, had made them moral. And do you know what it's like for God when He looks at His children? Loving, caring, helping. It's a beautiful day. And that's what humility's magnum opus can do for you and for me. So I guess I just have a question for you. When was the last time you did what the old Appalachian Christmas Carol calls upon us to do? Remember the song, I wonder as I wonder out under the sky, why Jesus the Savior did come for to die for poor, lonely sinners like you and like I. I wonder as I wonder out under the sky.